What up, Rail Split Nation? Uh, we're here today to discuss Grant and Lincoln. This is Rail Splitter Stangy or Nick. Uh, <laughs> dude, that was terrible. Hey, Jerry, you're going to have to cut that. I'm going back again. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, all right. Hey, Rail Split Nation, what's happening? Yes, this is a new voice entering you to the show. So I am Rail Splitter Nick, and with me is Rail Splitter Mary. Hey, Rail Splitters. Our Canadian Rail Splitter sister. And with us in spirit, essence is rail splitter boys so or jeremy so and we heard from him this week so he, i think he's thinking about coming back soon so hopefully here within the next few episodes you'll be hearing him starting to show off <laughs> in a much smoother fashion you did so awesome <laughs> i had to do it twice unless jared keeps that in there uh mary's jared that is our, our show producer now have we given him a shout out yet on the show? I think we have a couple times, but maybe we should officially do it right now. Yeah. Jer, I think this is Mary's Jer, uh, Canadian Jer. He has kind of become the show producer. <laughs> yep. He's... I don't know if he did by want, more by necessity, I think, but um, we're very appreciative of him. So if you've noticed the quality difference, it's all because of Canadian Jer. He he offered, and just a little bit of background, uh, he was a guest on one of our shows uh, where we talked about Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter the movie. Uh, he is a, what I would say, sound geek. So he loves editing sound, and he hears stuff that I like. I can't hear. He'll like he'll be editing the show, and he'll be like, do you hear this? And I'm like, no, I, I don't hear that. And he can even things out. He takes out where there's gaps in the conversation he squishes those together and like he'll do it all in about an hour like it's it's amazing and he tried teaching me once and i was like uh like i I just don't have the patience for it i think it's really awesome of him though so thank you jer for what you've been doing for us and we would love to keep you as our producer hell yeah funny part is he's gonna be hearing this in his headphones as he's fixing the show he is (laughs) i appreciate you so much um all right let's dive into it so uh, a couple hours or maybe about an hour before the show you sent me a link to an article mary so why don't you fill everybody in all right so there was a i googled abraham lincoln and hit news just to see what was happening in the lincoln world just because like life's been a little bit crazy for me lately so it's been kind of busy um but the abraham lincoln presidential library museum is doing their own version of i think i'm correct in saying march badness right now Uh, with Lincoln quotes. So there's 32 quotes and people are being asked to vote on them until there is a champion. So I voted on them tonight and the next round is March 25th. And there's like a big mix of like speeches and just like other quotes that uh, Lincoln said. Um, And I think it's a really cool concept to, uh, to vote. And some of the quotes when they were placed side by side, I'm like, that's a tough choice. I don't know how to pick because they were about two totally different things. But um, what a great way to get people seeing what Lincoln said. 
um, into his speeches and all that. So I thought it was really cool. What did you think of it, Nick? No, I think it's awesome. I mean, it works with the time here. Uh, March Madness. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, everybody bust out the brackets and do it. Good way to get engaged with Lincoln. I didn't take that close a look at it. Um, how long are the quotes for each bracket? Some of them are like, some of them are really long and others are maybe two or three sentences. Like they've got big chunks of his speeches and then they would go and have like a smaller chunk of the same speech against mm-hmm. another quote. So it's really interesting how they're doing it. And I'm really eager to see how it turns out. I would like it to be, you know, like with malice toward none or something like that, but it'll probably turn out to be something completely different than that. Are they going to full 64? I think so. Did they do the playing games, 68? I'm not sure if they did. <laughs> I, I have I really no idea. <laughs> if we ever do a March Madness bracket, we're doing playing games. Okay. I don't know what That's we not, would do it for. You know, I actually, I don't know if I should say this on there. I thought it would be kind of fun to do like a bracket of Civil War generals. I would be down with that. Um. Yeah, that was an idea, but figuring out how to rank them and all that, you could probably find a ranking online. I think so. But, yeah, we saw another thing, too. No, I'll talk about this one now. Uh, The worst president bracket. Mm -hmm. And then I have not checked to see how that did. I voted for my my boy, Fillmore, um, as a worst president, Andrew Johnson, or was it Pierce? Can't remember, but I voted in that one time. Um, I don't know if that's been then result of that has happened yet, but it's Fillmore anyway, so no the, need to. The fact you just called him your boy is hilarious, and I feel like I need you to get a shirt that says Fillmore is my homeboy with a picture I of Fillmore on it. I met that not in a positive manner, in a sarcastic, <laughs> malicious. Hey, Real Splitters, oh. if you're looking for something to give Nick for his birthday, get him a shirt that says Fillmore is my homeboy. Is there even a Fillmore shirt ever made? Oh, there's websites that will do it. Don't waste your money. <laughs> Don't waste your money. Anything else you saw on the news dealing with Blink? I didn't know, fortunately. It's been kind of crazy, and I've been trying to get caught up in all the activity that happens on the Real Splitter Facebook page, which is really awesome. I think I approved like five or six new members in the last two days, which is really awesome. So welcome to all those new members. We hope you're listening. Um, and if you are, we welcome feedback. And please yeah. post on our Facebook page. It's a very active community, which I love. Yeah, it has. I just saw some stuff on it not too long mm-hmm. ago. Uh, dealing with the library museum down there, uh, they are hiring or looking for a researcher. So Ooh. there you go, Mary. Your dream job. Yes, that actually would be. I love researching. So so they're looking. I think it's open for a week. So if any of you are listening, looking for a new job. Um, I don't know what kind of qualifications you need, but, um, yeah, go for it. And then let us come down and walk the vault. That's all I want to do is go in the vault. Let us into the vault. You let Boothy Barn in the vault. You should (laughs) let us in. I think we can get in. We got an in. Uh, Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we need to make that happen this summer. Dave will put in a good word for us, I'm sure. For real splitters who don't know, uh... Dave is Dave Taylor, Boothy Barn. Uh, he's been our guest a few times now, and he's always a wonderful guest to have. We hope to have him back again sometime. Um, but he's uh, 
we kind of christened him with the name Rail Splitter Dave because he's been on the show so much now as a guest. Yeah. Rail Splitter Dave. Yeah. Part of Rail Split Nation. I'm going to go with that more too. I like that. Rail Split Nation. You you took the intro and you made it your own, Nick. I'm proud of you. <laughs> it was awesome. I thought this would be a lot easier. This was actually more stressful than I thought it would be. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's dive into it. All right. So we got done with the show. What was it? Two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And we decided we needed a topic. And then me and Jeremy had just seen Grant or uh, Ronald White, who just uh, written a Grant biography. So we decided, hey, let's do a show on Grant and Lincoln. So that's kind of where we're at. Mary um being awesome put together hella notes here and i did not have my act together so i thought i would run this show here and you know kind of turn it to mary instead of just mary turning it over to herself over and over um to give her some breaks to take a sip of water every now and then so that that's why you're hearing me talk a lot at the beginning here but basically we're going to take a look at Grant. We're going to start a little bit about, you know, who Grant is, where he came from. Um, and then we'll go from there and talk about how him and Link could get along. So, Mary, I'll turn it over to you at this moment to let you get rolling here. All right. So, uh, first off, it's really timely that we're having this episode right now because March is, like, there's a few big anniversaries in the world of Grant and Lincoln. Um, so... It's around, I think it's like March 8th, that's the anniversary of when Grant was given the commission of lieutenant general in the the Union Army. So that means that he's now, com- he's the highest ranking officer in the U.S. Army, and he's commanding all of the armies. Um, so command, and then, but then below him, Sherman is commanding the armies in the West, and Meade is commanding the Army of the Potomac in the East. And there's a bit of a misconception that I sometimes hear where people will be like, oh, Meade was fired. Meade was not fired. He was not demoted. He kept his role um, as commander of the Army Army of the Potomac. But I can understand why that might, like, people might think that, because Grant made his home base with the Army of the Potomac, and I th- it was to be close to Washington without actually being in Washington. Now, Sherman actually had written to Grant and said, you need to get your ass back out west but grant decided to stay close to washington to conduct the war from there um it'd be kind of like a first year teacher and then you did something wrong but you didn't get fired but your principal's just kind of hanging out in your room all the time yeah that yeah that's basically (laughs) i don't know what i did wrong why are you here (laughs) yeah and then everybody's in there kind of like why is grant always around mead yeah why is he (laughs) hanging around why do you have to go ask him permission about stuff? But, well, a lot of those generals still popped up, like Hooker and Burnside. They mm-hmm. ended up out west, yep. you know, with Grant. So and that had to be a kind of a bitter pill to swallow, but oh, yeah, for them to still. Um, and then those guys both contributed greatly to the war effort. So. Oh, they did. Yeah, Meade, yeah. Meade holds his own, and he's such an and, underrated general and I wish he got more love, but he doesn't get the love that he deserves, I think. And, uh, you know, he contributed as much to the end of, end of the war, I think, as as any of them, because he was there. He was still commanding and giving orders. Yeah, I, I think Meade, 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 we're looking at about a four or five seed. Mm-hmm. If we're going to put him in the bracket. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. Um, but the relationship between Grant and Lincoln, and when I was doing my 
research, I came to the conclusion that it's one of, there's very much mutual respect. This understanding, which was not an all, always a spoken understanding, and underlying it all was a friendship. And that's kind of how I would look at their relationship is with that. No, I would agree 100%. So getting into Grant, so his early life. So he was born Hiram Ulysses Grant in Point Pleasant, Ohio on April 22nd, 1822 to Jesse and Hannah Grant. And the story of how Grant got his name is kind of interesting. So they got together and I guess they were having a party, placed all these names in a hat and Ulysses was drawn from the hat. So, but also wanting to honor his father-in-law, Jesse named him Hiram Ulysses, but would always refer to him as Ulysses. And then they ended up moving to Georgetown, Ohio, when Grant was just a year old. And it's interesting to note that this town is about 110 miles southwest of where Sherman, later Grant's Civil War best friend, grew up in Lancaster, Ohio. So they were fairly close together, but they wouldn't actually meet until Grant went to West Point, which Sherman was a couple years ahead of him. Um, so Grant's formal education was at first a subscription school, which was quite common in those days, and later a couple different private schools. And all his life, Grant had a love of horses that began very early, and he had a knack for being able to train them, and he loved being around them. His father was a tanner, and he knew Grant disliked the work. Like, I think Grant um, said something about, like, it was just, it smelled really bad, like, to be in the tanning business, and he just didn't... He didn't like it, but Jesse wanted him to work, so he would have him dri- he gave him the job of driving the teams of horses with supplies. And a funny story that I came across about Grant buying a horse when he was younger um, was he wanted this colt from this guy, and Grant's dad was like, "No, it's too much money." So Grant goes back to the guy and said, "Papa says I may offer twenty dollars for the colt, but if you won't take that, I am to offer twenty two and a half." And if you won't take that, to give you 25. And then Grant, he's telling the story in his memoirs, and then he ends it off by saying, it would not take a Connecticut man to guess the price finally agreed upon. His memoirs, he's got some great lines in there. Um, Just, it's kind of like the dry humor I I Mm -hmm. imagine he kind of had. But yeah, that's a great story. And then it it kind of catch you off guard, at least I'm about halfway through it right now. And a lot of his, like, one-liners, I'm just like, oh, wait a second. That's actually hilarious. Yeah, he's good, <laughs> at, it, good at a very self-depreciating style of humor. Yeah, which is kind of similar to Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, another thing I was thinking there, too, is, you know, Grant, kind of like Lincoln, you know, the father has one occupation that they grow up doing, and then the son's not following that path, mm-hmm. you know. It didn't appeal to them for whatever different reasons, so... Um, I kind of find that, you know, both growing up in the Midwest, too. So I, I think they kind of had a similar background a little bit in that sense. And they are both able to kind of laugh at themselves mm-hmm. and not take themselves so seriously, which probably contributed to that friendship, to that working relationship that they had later. Yeah, I think it did, too. And there's other I can't think of the exact lines in the memoirs. But, you know, I'm like you. I will just laugh out loud at something I read. And I think he he brings up this cult story, something in reference to the civil war, he brings it back up again. And he was like, it was like when I bought that cult or something like that. And he just, he kind of recalls it. And it's, and he said something else about, 
I wish I had written it down, but it was when I was reading it late at night and I was like, oh, I'll make note of that in the morning. And I never did. But it was something where he was like, yeah, and then I didn't do that. And it was just this one liner where it was hilarious. Yeah, it happens a lot in it. So, yeah, I, I do appreciate his writing. It's Memoirs are very easy to read. They mm-hmm. really are. I would encourage anybody to go yeah. um, dive into them. Yeah, they are an excellent resource. Um, and Grant had a fairly good childhood. He said that he had as many privileges as any boy in the village and probably more than most of them. I have no recollection of ever having been punished at home, either by scolding or by the rod. So I think in terms of childhood that Grant probably had a little bit more than Lincoln, maybe. Mm-hmm. I would agree mm-hmm. with you, too, based on reading. You know, part of it is the both his parents stay together. You know, one mm-hmm. doesn't die yeah. um, early in his childhood for him. So it definitely comes across that his childhood was a little bit more complete, whereas Lincoln's was definitely... Um, for various reasons, a little bit more patchy, um, broken up at times. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So then in 1839, Grant starts at West Point, and this is where he gets the name Ulysses S. Grant, and that's because his name was mistakenly written down. And protocol dictated that the name that was written in that register, that was your legal name. So he became known as Ulysses S. Grant after that. And his nickname at West Point, um, which I don't think he liked very much, was Sam or Uncle Sam, as they like to call him. And his time at West Point, again, it shows his sense of humor. Um, He didn't like to study, but instead enjoyed reading. There is a fine library connected with the academy from which cadets can get books to read in their quarters. I devoted more time to these than to books relating to the course of studies. Yeah, it's... Kind of that self-learning. He kind of mm-hmm. he still wants to gain knowledge, but kind of within his own structure. Which, once again, drawing a parallel to Lincoln, I mean, that's what Lincoln did his whole life. Um, more so because he didn't have the opportunity to go to schools mm-hmm. and stuff. But yeah, definitely, I, and I kind of appreciate that. Kind of bucking the system a little. I, I do too. Like he's he Grant knows he's not putting forth his best effort, but he's still like, Oh, here I am reading. And he's kind of like thinking that reading is frowned upon. Cause he was reading things like James Fenimore Cooper and um, I can't remember what the other ones were, but um, it's very much like his, fr- like later his friend Sherman was very much the same way at West point where Sherman in his memoir said, I could have done better, but I just didn't like, yeah. <laughs> like he, he said he lost demerit points because he didn't keep his uniform clean. And he, he basically he he goofed off but again look at where the two of them got in in the grand scheme of things and it's much like lincoln you know it's that kind of the stuff you learn that's not necessarily like formal education i think that that helped yeah. help them along that's something you teach is you know you got kids who do stuff because they're supposed to do it mm-hmm. Meaning, like, they go here, whether it's parents, society, whatever, they think they do it, and they just do it. Yeah. But they're not really trying. They're not in it for self-learning. They're in it for either a resume, you know, to get into college, make parents happy, for some external force, whereas Grant's taking his own initiative to read stuff that interests him, which shows a commitment to, like, internal learning, Mm -hmm. which is much more powerful to me, as a teacher, I'm always impressed when I see that. Like, I have a kid who has a book, like, oh, you're reading that for class? And they're like, no. And it's like this, maybe a higher level book or something you yep. wouldn't think the kid would be reading. You're like, oh, wow. That, 
that's impressive. You, you're thinking on your own. You have your own thought process, which I, I think you see throughout Grant's life. Yep, and and Lincoln's as well. And that, as you said, that's mm-hmm. another parallel. Like Lincoln picked up the books of Euclid and taught himself Euclid. Like that's like just for fun kind of thing. It's not something I would do. Like I don't have a brain for math at all. So I really admire Lincoln for doing that. Um, I, but yeah, it's just that self learning, the initiative they they that he and Lincoln took for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and Grant at West Point, he's described as fairly quiet, but he does make a couple friends, including uh, Frederick Dent and a guy named James Longstreet. Oh, I think I know that guy. He'll come back. Yeah, he, he will come <laughs> back. He'll be back. Um, and then on June 30th, 1843, Grant graduates. He's 21 in his class of 39. Uh, post-graduation, he is assigned to the 4th Inf- Infantry Regiment and is assigned to the Jefferson Barracks in St. Louis, Missouri. Good old... The show me state. Yep. He bumps into a couple other general, well, obviously serving at that time. Mm-hmm. A lot of Civil War guys keep popping up. And he does a nice job kind of highlighting that throughout his memoirs, too. Yeah, I can't remember who he, who else he runs into. I think. I forget King, who was in Missouri. I think it was King. I want to think it was King who had something to do with the Iron Brigade, maybe. He yeah. ran into Sherman at West Point, Longstreet. I can't remember. Neither can I. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> I wish I'd written them down. It wasn't in the... What was the famous year for West Point, for Civil War generals, when they were, like, all there? There were a whole bunch of them. Shit, I... It's like, class I of... <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> it's been a long week. It's right around week. this time. It's gotta be. It it's is, It's gotta be yeah. right around 1843, so... It is, yeah. It It is. Um... Like, I think there was one class that Beauregard was in, and uh, Pickett was in. Pickett graduated last in his class. Yeah. Didn't Custer do terrible second to last? He did, yep. yep. John Reynolds went to West Point. Uh, John Given went to to West Point. I think Buford Buford was at West Point. Meade was at West Point as well. A whole bunch of them were at West Point. Meade was, I think, far ahead of Grant, though, because Meade was born in 1818, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. So he would have been gone from West Point by the time Grant was there. Yeah, I don't know who was there in Missouri, and I don't know the big year there. I don't know anything. I'm sorry, <laughs> rail split nation. <laughs> it's okay. I can't remember either. <laughs> but anyway, so through Frederick Dent, Grant ends up meeting a girl named Julia, who is Frederick's sister, and um, they end up getting engaged in 1844. Now, the interesting thing about the Dent family is they are not only Democrats, but they are slave owners. And Grant's father, Jesse, is an abolitionist. Yeah, I mean, they didn't even like... The in-laws did not get along. No. The in-laws did not go to the wedding in uh, 1848. Yeah, so um, definitely kind of... Little Romeo and Juliet, is that where they're like? That's what I don't know. Romeo and Juliet commit suicide. <laughs> they both died. Yeah, but did their families hate each other? They did, yeah. The Cap- okay. Capulets and the Montagues, I think that. God, I hope I'm getting unlike, the names right. <laughs> unlike Lincoln, I do not read a lot of Shakespeare. <laughs> I, I just know because I worked at a museum that was right outside the Stratford Festival. Stratford, Ontario has a Stratford Festival, which is like obviously plays and stuff like that. And. I got. I always was getting free tickets, so I would go see the plays. So nice. Um, so I, 
I do know, though, Ronald White made a big point to kind of bring up that uh, the relationship, the marriage, the bond between um, Grant and Julia was mm-hmm. very strong, very, you know, it, it was truly a match. Um, I don't want to say made in heaven because that sounds cheesy, but, you know, it was fate. Yep. I think in a lot of ways. No, they had a very deep respect for each other, a very deep love. And I think at the core, they were best friends. And she wasn't afraid to suggest things to him, I think, to call him out, to kind of guide him. And it was very respectful. It's, um, and yes, I know I keep bringing Sherman up, but he's the other general I study the most. Um, his marriage to Ellen um, was very much different from that. Um they quarreled a lot. Their letters are sometimes full attention and all that. And they were very divided on religion, of all things. Um, but like Grant and Julia, whenever I read about them and I read their letters, it's something that's like, wow, these two really respected each other and they got each other. And there was actually um, a book that was very recently um, released called My Dearest Julia and it's the wartime letters between Grant and Julia. And I have yet to read it, but I do own a copy of it. And I'm looking forward to reading it because their letter, like, he wrote her some very, very nice things. Yeah, I always kind of had the impression that it was very difficult for him to be away from her, which contributed to some of his problems. And um, so, yeah, it when you're that close to somebody and had a tight of a bond, you know, um, it, it had to be tough when they were. And they were at times away from each other a very long time. Yeah, and that's why the engagement was so long. Like they get engaged in eighteen forty four. They're not married till eighteen forty eight, and that's because Grant is involved in a in the Mexican War, and he does serve with with distinction here. He wins two citations for gallantry and one for um, meritorious conduct, and he uh, says in his memoirs that he learns a lot about military strategy, but he disagreed with the war. And he regarded it as one of the most unjust ever waged by a stronger nation against a weaker nation. And it made him, but it, what it did is it made him realize he wanted a career in the military. Like when he graduated from West Point, he was like, okay, I'm just going to give them my four years and then it'll be done. But he came away from the Mexican War thinking, okay, I can make a career out of this. And I think he served with both Scott and Zachary Taylor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he talks a lot about the difference between them in his memoirs, but how he respected both of them mm-hmm. from being vastly different from each other. Because Zachary Taylor is more like Grant, and like he didn't worry about all the pomp and you know aura that goes around of being one of the top guys. Whereas Winfield Scott, you know, always had like the the ceremonial uniform on almost. Um, yeah. Whereas. You know, Taylor was a little bit more like how you always hear about Grant in the Civil War. Like you couldn't even tell who Grant was, like walking around. People would just be like, "What? What? You're you Ulysses says Grant?" Like when he checked himself in the hotel in DC. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's kind of funny. And he goes in great detail. Really talk about how he did not agree with the aims of the war mm-hmm. in the memoir. So, um, but yet the war contributed so much to his Civil War success because. I think he says something about a quote that he learned never to be, like, afraid of somebody else, pretty much. Yep. He learned not to be intimidated in the Mexican-American War. Um, He learned, I think, 
a lot about the Southern generals that he remembers and he references at times, mm-hmm. you know, talking about their personalities, their strategies, um, you know, when he had to face them um, in the war. So, you know, for a guy who was so against it, it played such an integral part in who he became. Yeah, it, it certainly did. And I mean, it obviously had a huge impact on him, not just for that, but just, you know, he decides he wants to make a career out of that. So, and that's where, like, so after the Mexican War, he decides he's going to he's going to stay in the military. And for a while, he lives in Detroit, Michigan with Julia. And actually, the house he lived in is still standing. I drive through Detroit many times, but I've never driven by the house because it's not in a very good area. But there are plans to save it. But after he had been in Detroit for a while, I think he has to go out west to like California. Mm-hmm. And that's where like Nick, what you mentioned about being separated from Julia, where he starts having problems. And that's where this and it is still a controversial issue his drinking. And I don't think you can talk about Grant without talking about the issue of his drinking. Because it's so it's the one thing that that comes up about him like I was at um was at work last week and somebody said we were talking about what books we were reading and I said something like oh I've been reading Grant's memoirs and they said Grant was a drunk and I was like no he was not a drunk <laughs> we kind of got into this this back and forth but it was somebody who doesn't study the civil war and just it's one of those Grant stereotypes yeah I think and I don't know much this is my theory I, I should state this I think Grant obviously I bet he had a hard time controlling when he was drinking mm-hmm. overindulged probably more than what he should have which probably led to hangovers I do not believe Grant was a every single night pounding them back drunk you know when he's working and stuff I think he's somebody who was lonely in California probably from his wife probably he was kind of a little bit more reserved probably maybe liked a couple this is all theory um maybe liked a couple hanging out with some guys and then just didn't have the cutoff switch as somebody who also doesn't have the cutoff switch maybe i just want to feel like i'm more like grant <laughs> but and then you know when you get yourself you know there's a couple times it gets recorded it's easy to over embellish that into you got a major flow blow and problem where we're thinking all of a sudden like leaving las vegas nicholas cage you know yeah. drinking to kill himself type scenario which I do not believe that was the case at all. No. And Nick, I completely agree with your theory. And that's exactly how I feel about Grant's drinking is that he was just the type of person that's like, oh, I'll have one three or four shots later or whatever it is he's drinking. You know, he's and he and I know size sometimes doesn't play into it. But Grant wasn't a big guy. He was five, seven, I think probably around 130, 140 pounds. Like he wasn't a big guy. Um. And I think, yeah, lonely and just maybe it hit him harder than some other people. Like some people can drink and they can get up the next day and they're fine. But Grant also suffered from migraines and as some, I suffer from migraines and I can tell you the times that I've had too much, I get a horrendously bad migraine the next day. It goes from hangover to migraine and it, it's horrible. I don't suffer from migraines except when I drink. 
the yeah. next morning, of course. Yeah. So I don't. Th- I don't think that's a migraine for me. It's more of a hangover. <laughs> yeah, mine just mine turns into mine turns into it. It's like migraines are their own beast, and Grant suffered from those too. Um, but I think you know there were people that had an agenda against him, and they're like they saw him drink, and they were like, "Oh, we can take this and run with it," you know. Not as bad as it would be today with social media and all that, but still, you know, like, and then you have, like, incidents in the Civil War where Halleck has his own agenda against Grant, and he's like, oh, Grant's drinking again, you know, and nearly gets Grant removed from the military for spreading what probably was a rumor. And yeah, there probably was a few times in the Civil War where Grant drank a little bit too much, but, like, I think the way I think of it is, like, which of us has not done that in times of stress? or yeah. or whatever too and there could have been times as well where grant was legitimately suffering from a migraine and people assumed he was hungover and then also grant's personality wasn't to fight back either no which i which i think is a good quality but at that time there's nobody really you know going against it or refuting that claim either because of his just the way he was as his personality yeah And he, like, it's due to drink, like, there was an issue where he was drunk out west, and the officer in charge said, if you do this again, you're going to have to resign. It happened again, apparently, and Grant resigned on July 31st, 1854, because he didn't want to be court-martialed, he he didn't want any of that on his name. And um, so he leaves the army at that point. And I don't, does he talk like I haven't read as much of his memoirs, I think, as you have, Nick. Does he talk at all about his drinking in it? Like, no. he's ever meant, yeah, that's what I thought. He, Not really. He probably, I don't think so. Um, so this is before the Civil War where we're now at. Um, so after he resigned from the army, Grant spent the next six years in St. Louis, St. Louis with Julia and their growing family. And he tries several different ventures without much luck, um, including farming. And eventually they moved to Galena, Illinois, where he'll be a clerk in his family's store. Now, in 1858, Grant acquires a slave from his father-in-law. And he doesn't, yes, have, that, he does. doesn't have that slave for very long before he, he frees him. That's right, Grant. Way to get it done. Yeah, and that's... Or, that was weird to cheer... Really, <laughs> what's well, very telling but, about yes, his personality yes. because he needed money at the time. He could have sold that slave for fifteen hundred dollars, I think, mm-hmm. and instead he freed him. No, I think it says a lot about Grant as a person too. Mm-hmm. So, and so then we get to the year eighteen sixty, and there's a little bit of a, an election going on. Yes, there is. I think I knew who wins it. Yep, but Grant actually favored Stephen Douglas over Lincoln. Yeah, he voted. He was a Democrat. Yeah, and he actually couldn't vote in the election because he wasn't yet a legal resident of Illinois. And he was torn because he had anti-slavery views, but his wife is and her family is Democrat. So, and I can understand why he was torn. And actually, a lot, there's a few other generals that I've read about that they also were not for Lincoln either. Like they were for Breckinridge or they were for Douglas, but they ended up fighting for the Union. Um which is which very much again shows how much of an underdog Lincoln was in the election, I think. Um, and then, uh, and, oh, go ahead. Uh, sorry, no, I agree with you too. I mean, 
And he's pretty honest about it in the memoirs. He says straight up, I would have voted for Douglas and um, if he could have. So, um, you know, he could easily have rewritten history there. But um, so I give him credit for that. And his uh, when he's putting together his memoirs, he, he is honest to it. So I also find it funny in Galena. They, they love him. <laughs> and there's a cool museum up mm-hmm. there, too. But like he was only there 11 months on top of it all. I know it's funny. So might be kind of ironic or just odd. But I was out antiquing one time with um my friend Jeff, and I found, of all things, a shot glass from the Grant home in Galena, Illinois. <laughs> so I was like, I have to buy that. Fitting, too. That makes more sense, a shot glass for Grant than Lincoln. I Yeah, I know. I was like, this is... And I use the shot glass all the time, and like Jerry will say, he's like, was Grant really a drunk? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then so- you go, no, just me. Yeah, and no. then you take your shot. Yeah, exactly. A bourbon. Yeah. Um, so in Galena, um, Grant meets somebody else that you can't do a show and not mention, and that is John Rollins, and he meets him on April sixteenth, eighteen sixty one. So by now, the Civil War is happening. The shots have been fired at Fort Sumter. Uh, John Rollins was a lawyer, and he gave a very very stirring speech that spurred Grant to volunteer for the military service in the Union Army. And his speech is very moving. He talks about how he's been a Democrat his whole life, but the Civil War was no longer a question of politics. And he states, it is simply country or no country. I have favored every honorable compromise, but the day for compromise has passed. Only one course is left us. We will stand by the flag of our country and appeal to the God of battles. That is a hell of a speech right there. Mm -hmm. I remember like white in American Ulysses. Like he wrote that so well about Rollins and how they how it just kind of spurred Grant into joining the military again and volunteering and um, Rollins will be with Grant throughout the Civil War. He will eventually become a general. He will be with Grant through part of his presidency, but he unfortunately passes away from tuberculosis. But he is said to be the one that kind of keeps Grant in check um, when it comes to his drinking. So he kind of watches over him. And um, I just, I've been reading the Jeff Shara novels about the Western theater, of the civil war and Grant is a character in them. And Rollins makes me laugh. Cause he's portrayed like Grant, like you'll be inside Grant's head and knowing what he like, you know, what he's thinking and stuff. Cause it's from his perspective. And he, he's talking about Rollins saying like, Oh my God, he's like nagging, like a nagging wife or, like this lost puppy because he's always hanging around when Grant's having meetings. Like he'll literally, like Grant will open the door and Rollins will literally be standing right there. And I don't know if that's how it was or not, but it just like Jeff Shar has taken Rollins and made him in this kind of comical granny type character that's always like literally on Grant. This that idea of kind of like the the best friend that you're such good friends that they annoy you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that's how it comes across. And other other characters will make comments like what is he doing out there? <laughs> like he's all like cuz Grant will be like be like let me get Rollins and Rollins will like immediately open the door and come in like he's been listening the entire time <laughs> to the meeting. So we have made it to 1861 and we are in the Civil War now. So we are going to dive into talking about the Lincoln and Grant relationship.
Lincoln and Grant do not actually meet in person until March of 1864. Um, but Lincoln soon learns who Grant is early on in the Civil War. And we're going to discuss that as we go through um, talking about this relationship we um, they have together. And I think you'll probably see that that they have the utmost of respect for each other. And Lincoln will often come to Grant's defense because the rumors start swirling around that he's drinking again. So in 1861, Grant volunteers for military service in the Union Army. His first command was the colonel of the 21st Illinois, but he soon rose to Brigadier General in July of 1861. And in September, he's given command of the District of Southeast Missouri. And then from there, um, there's Fort Donelson and Fort Henry Happen. And this is where Grant gets his name on the map. And so these are two forts. Um, on the Tennessee River is Fort Henry, and on the Cumberland River is Fort Donelson. And having rivers is very strategic for the Union. They need them to control, like they need to control them. And it helps strangle the South, too. Yep. Because they also needed them to move the goods and stuff. And both those will lead to the Union securing the Mississippi. Yeah, the the Union will get the Tennessee, they'll get the Cumberland, they'll get the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, so Grant becomes well known by this victory, including by Lincoln. And he earns the nickname Unconditional Surrender Grant. And his ter- his terms to the Confederates, no terms except unconditional and immediate surrender can be accepted. I propose to move immediately upon your works. Yeah, I mean, just badass. And it's one of the few victories this early in the war, too. And And he's really the one general, and he shows it from the get-go, that is aggressive. He's like a bulldog. I mean, mm-hmm. isn't there a famous quote where it talks about him just grabbing a hold? And then just never letting go. I mean, that's just what he does. And he just continues always thinking about moving forward, moving forward. And you see that starting with Donaldson and Henry mm-hmm. right off the bat. Yep. And that's what uh, Lincoln said about him. He's like a bulldog. He won't mm-hmm. let go. And I'm paraphrasing. I don't know the exact quote, but Lincoln definitely said something about Grant being a bulldog and not letting go. Um, so Grant ends up receiving a promotion to Major General, despite Halleck accusing Grant of drinking again. So here's Halleck with his personal agenda against Grant. And then we move on to Shiloh. And this is the, at the time it happens, the bloodiest battle ever in United States history. Which I think a lot of people don't realize and forget. Yeah, it was the one I've read accounts about, you know, from reunions that the soldiers would go to and they would be like laughing and joking around saying like, Oh yeah, I was here. I was at this battle. Oh, remember when this happened at Gettysburg or, or this happened like in Petersburg or whatever. And then someone would say, I was at Shiloh and the room apparently would go silent because that was like the first big battle. Like any of the soldiers that were there, it was trial by fire, like witnessing firsthand how horrific that war is. And Grant talks about it's after Shiloh where he realizes this war isn't going to be fought and won by just some decisive battle that so many, you know, this decisive victory that would just take place on a battlefield, which was kind of the foundation of Napoleonic tactics. Mm -hmm. That that wasn't going to be the case in a civil war. No. 
and that yeah grant definitely realizes that and <coughs> it's also where um like grant is he's got a really sore ankle because he had fallen off his horse and the horse had rolled on top of him and stuff so um so shiloh's fought april 6th and 7th 1862 and it's that night that sherman goes to see him and it's raining and grant was trying to get some rest in this one place but they made it into a hospital and he couldn't stand just the sounds that he was hearing and being around the men that were possibly dying and so he goes out and stands under this tree and sherman is coming to him to say that he wants to surrender and he thinks they should surrender and just pull back and give it up but he doesn't say that when he gets to Grant. All he says is, like, we've had the devil's own day of it. And Grant just looks at him, looks at him and says, yep, lick him tomorrow, though. Which becomes who he is throughout the rest of the war. Yeah, just that confidence. Like, he's such a, he seems like such a quiet, introverted guy. But then he's, you know, he's able to say after how bad day one was, where the Union, ar- or the Confederate Army is now sleeping where the Union troops were earlier that day but then the union troops will come back and retake all that the next day. Um, and you know, the, the Confederate army had lost their general Albert Sidney Johnston. He had been shot earlier that day and died in the battle. So Beauregard took over. He wasn't the great, I don't think he was the greatest of generals, but still they couldn't rally themselves back together. And, um, by that time the union had their reinforcements and they were able to win the battle, but at the cost of many lives. And Halleck after this ends up, removing Grant, replacing him with General Thomas. And because of that, Grant considers resigning. But Sherman goes and convinces him to stay. And that's Grant has been accused of drinking again by the newspapers. Like, the newspapers were just going crazy, saying, like, oh, he was drinking during the battle, he was drunk during the battle, and um, really taking it, like, really taking him to task over this. Um, And even Lincoln receives many calls for Grant's removal. But all Lincoln says is, I can't spare this man. He fights. I mean, he's dealing with McClellan driving the freaking nuts. Right, he's there, like, yeah. this guy's moving. He's getting stuff done. And, I mean, that's... Well, he, doesn't he have this, like, the, I'm paraphrasing, but doesn't he give the quote, like, something along the lines of, give McClellan or somebody else, the other generals, whatever he's drinking? Yeah, whatever he's drinking, give it to them. <laughs> like, yeah. So, I mean... And then I think it probably, my theory here... Is, you know, you got the bummed ankle, and then they probably use, so he's probably, like, laid up a little bit, and that's probably used to create the embellishment of that he was too drunk at Shiloh. Yeah, like, he's um, hobbling around, or what happened? Did he fall while he was drinking? Like, you know, and so this, and this is an example of how Lincoln would come to the defense, and he believed in so many people, even when others didn't. And this isn't the first case of this. Um, Like when Sherman went crazy when he was in Kentucky and he was like, you know, overestimating troop strength and he had a breakdown. Lincoln, you know, received letters from his brother, John, as well as his wife, Ellen, saying reinstate him. And Lincoln reinstated him because he recognized, you know, there is talent in this man and he's just having a rough period. And I think he saw the same in Grant and to some extent, there's other generals, too, that he saw that in, that he he kept them around. Yeah, Grant, I'm using another teacher analogy here, so I apologize. But, like, he's that kid in class who doesn't volunteer to answer everything. 
But when you call on him, like most kids would assume he's just shy, maybe doesn't know stuff. But you call on him, or it's his turn to give a speech, and he just goes up there, and you're like, and it just kind of shocks everybody in class because it's this quiet confidence. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, other teachers that maybe don't have the best teaching techniques maybe don't call on him, just assume that he's, you know, dumb, not that smart or shy. But he just never really had to be. He rises to the occasion. So, and I think Lincoln was just good too at seeing people's potential. Yeah, um, which made him a good leader from his cabinet picks um, to, well, I don't know if all his general picks are, but no, um, McClellan. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of see he's just a quiet, confident person that just mm-hmm. kind of shocks you and surprises you when they speak. And you could just hear the confidence with the answer that they give you. Yeah. I think about this because the Bing Lu, I don't know if we talked about him on the show, is this guy who did the documentary, got nominated for an Oscar. He's happened to be from Rockford, where me and Jerry live. Um, but he, he has the same confidence. He doesn't say anything. He almost comes across shy. And then it's like a Q&A after his movie. And it's like, holy shit, this guy isn't shy. He just is so confident in himself mm-hmm. and his abilities, not in an arrogant way. That he just doesn't see the need to talk unnecessarily. I agree. And Grant, Grant, there's no arrogance in Grant. Yeah, I, I, I believe that too. Like to say, yep, lick him tomorrow though, after you've had like your second in command is coming to you and he, you know, now Sherman didn't say it, but he wanted to surrender. Like he was thinking we can't do this. And then Grant is just like, nah, we can do it. Yeah, his coolness when things are going bad, to stay calm. And to be able to see things clearly or to understand what needs to be done was Grant's biggest asset that he had. Mm -hmm. And it really is, I don't know if it's a thing of courage almost, but I think just a lot of the other Civil War generals on both sides struggle with that. And he had the toughness to endure. I mean, those losses had to impact him just as much as everybody else, but he was able to see the bigger picture um, and was able to absorb that. Um, somehow, some way. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's because too that Grant experienced failure in his life, just like Lincoln did. And sometimes you have to fail to become stronger, and to know that you can do it. You've been through worse, and you can do it. And that's the big difference between Grant and McClellan. Is McClellan, I think, had everything handed to him. And even at West Point, when McClellan got like a less than perfect grade in art class, he blamed it on the art teacher. Like, he wasn't willing to accept that blame. And that's a huge difference between Grant and McClellan is that, you know, here's Grant and Lincoln. They both had failures in their life. And despite that, Grant has this quiet confidence. And with that quiet confidence, I think he inspired his troops. Grant was fighting to win. McClellan was fighting not to lose. Yeah. Use a sport analogy. Um. Yeah, no, I like that. That's a great spot to wrap up. It is. This episode, part one of Grant Lincoln. Um, So our next episode, we are going to pick it up right after Shiloh. Um, For those of you who don't know, that will be Vicksburg. And the headache that Vicksburg had to be for good old Grant. Yep. Um, So that brings us to our weekly features. And let's go with uh for the people by the people is that what we call it yes it is yep (laughs) 
For the people, by the people. What you got, Mary? Okay, so I have a post from our Facebook page. Um, it's John Jensen. And he said, I just finished reading A. Lincoln by Ronald C. White Jr. for the second time, and it is just as great as the first time. He really brings President Lincoln to life, and I really enjoyed the commentaries he added throughout the book on Lincoln's speeches that drove home the points Lincoln was trying to make connecting his audience. And he goes on to say that he's read other biographies like Oates's With Malice Toward None and David Herbert Donald's biography, Lincoln. Or no, he hasn't read that one yet. And he's looking for suggestions of other books that are favorites of the fellow rail splitters. And I just thought that was such a great post to get discussion going. I still need to go comment on it. But so rail splitters, if you haven't seen that post yet, um, head on over to our Facebook page and comment with your favorite Lincoln book because he's looking for recommendations. And if you're not part of the rail splitter Facebook group, just hit join and I will approve you (laughs) very soon. And then I'm going to give a shout out to my boy, Ben Holmes. We did say he was going to pass the message on. I forgot who I sent the message to in England. That golfer. Uh, Yes. Yes. Thank you. In Northern Ireland. Uh, he was going to pass on the message McElroy for me, so I appreciate you there. Uh, but he shared the American History TV poll that I was talking about earlier in the show where it was doing the ranking of who was the worst president. And Miller Fillmore beat Franklin Pierce in their head-to-head battle 68% to 32%. So there are a lot of smart people in the world. And I think this is run through C-SPAN. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I don't know if there's a final winner yet or not. I don't know. I'll have to update us all next episode. But that is my social media share. Awesome. And then This Week in Lincoln, which we did not talk about before the show. So I'm assuming you, the reason we didn't talk is because what you have is so good, Mary, (laughs) that you did not want to spoil it. On the show. <laughs> All right, I will. Like, I do have one, and I meant to mention it to you before the show to make sure it was okay. But I'll just say it. <laughs> just for the record, I did come up. I just glanced up, and I did see a save that I had in case you didn't have one. Okay. So, so um, and this is actually Jer A is a huge fan of the Sopranos TV show. Oh, uh, great show! And I love it too. Um, so we've been watching it. Um, episodes here and there. Anyway, last night's episode uh, for real swears that are familiar with it is the one where um, Tony and Meadow are on that college road trip where Meadow gets drunk. And then the priest comes over to watch movies with Carmela. And they're sitting by the fire and she's going on about how nice the fire is. And she's like, Tony never wants to light a fire. And then she said, those logs have been in there since Lincoln split them. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I don't know if I've ever picked up on that. Yeah, no, I heard it last night and I was like, oh, Lincoln reference. Like, and I just thought it was really funny. Like, there's Lincoln getting referenced on The Sopranos, of all things. Dude, those episodes with the priest and her, oh, those were kind of cringy. Yeah. Get these squirming, like, not because they're bad, but probably because it's well done is why it's cringy. But, oh, yeah. And yeah. And then he gets really drunk and spends the night at her house and it's, Great show, though. Great show. I know. It's a very, very good show. So a couple of years ago, I had this like major anxiety attack. And then I was going through some issues. Anyways, I ended up in the emergency room because I thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't. But then I was talking to this doctor. And then I was telling them, like, I was watching Sopranos a lot. And you know how you'd pass out? 
Oh, yeah. And then, and then I was like, yeah, I, I keep feeling like I'm going to pass out. I keep panicking like I'm going to be like Tony <laughs> Soprano. And he thought I was talking about the actor. And the actor had just died. Oh, yeah, so James Gandolfini. Like, yeah, around that time. He's like, oh, no, you're not going to die. I'm like, no, I know that. I was... <laughs> It was one of the more bizarre conversations that I had in the emergency room. Um, did, but anyways. Did, did you have ducks involved? No, no ducks were involved. <laughs> but <laughs> I just remember and I just like thinking, I'm like, oh, my God, how did I get to this point? Um, after I drank too much the night before as well. So I pulled a grant. Oh. Ended up there. but I think we've anyways. all pulled a grant at some point in our lives. Oh, for sure. Anything else for the cause? I think that's it until we meet again. Yes. Thank you for bearing with us, Rail Split Nash. I think that's it. So with mouths towards none and charity for all. We will see you again soon.